from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Welcome, badasses. It is great to have you here for another episode of the Badass Counseling Show. I'm the host. You're stuck with me, baby. I'm Sven Erlinson, and whether you are tuning in from Edmonton all or all the way down to New Orleans, Louisiana, from Perth to Mom's Basement, <laughs> from Kent, UK to South Dakota, it's great to have you here. I'm joined in studio by KC over there in the booth. Hi, KC. And Rob the Rocket right next to me. Rob. What say ye? Good day. You know, the honesty we get on this show is just crushing. I just love it. It's just so much of it. Well, then let's get after it. Here we go. First question is actually uh, one I've never gotten before. So here we go. And I have no idea what the hell the answer is. What was the worst advice that was given to you? Worst advice. Um, in all honesty, if I'm being totally honest, be responsible. Man, when I was in my early 20s, I was married. Uh, we had met at 22, married at 23, just a month later, right? Very responsible. Um, and then got pregnant right after we got back from the honeymoon. Yes, that is true. It didn't happen before the wedding. Um, not that that matters. But, um, and I had, you know, I was finishing my undergraduate. And even then when I was starting seminary uh, shortly after that, I had my wife, I had the brother that I was closest to back then, I had my father-in-law, a little bit my father, but my father was never critical, my mom was silent. I had so many people, father-in-law and her stepdad, all coming down to me, be responsible, get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job. Even when I had a job and was going through graduate school, it was just never enough. And this thing being pounded into me of basically, do what we say. Be who we want you to be. Be what a man should be. And all that. And you know what happened? She finally divorced me. Uh, whether it was for that or whatever, who the fuck knows? And we get along now, fine. It, that was almost 30 years ago. Um, and we've gotten along for, you know, decade and a half, whatever. But the bottom line is the worst advice, really, it wasn't even be responsible that was the bad advice. What they were saying is be responsible to the things we should we think you should be responsible to. And in looking back on my life, I realized that I was being responsible to something else, to what my priorities were. And my priorities were, I've got to follow this voice inside of me. That was my priority. And back then I identified it as, you know, God. And so I sort of morphed over time. I identified it as my the voice of my soul, the voice of the universe, God. I don't give a shit what you call it. But honoring that... And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to weather the divorce and losing my kids. I wouldn't have gone into that deep depression. I wouldn't have had to find a way out of the deep depression. I wouldn't have written all those books that nobody read for years. I wouldn't have um, been a pastor for years. I wouldn't have gone, given up all of my life possessions and lived on the street to minister to the homeless of Oakland, California and sleep on concrete every uh, night for two and a half years. I wouldn't have done all those things. Hard as many of them were, just, just crushing as the, of the soul as many of them were if I hadn't listened to my that voice inside. And I went through all those hells, and that's precisely why I'm here right now. 
It's precisely because I listened, I was responsible to my own voice. I was able to respond, responsible, able to respond to my own voice. And I made my voice a priority and pushed back, made room in my brain and my life, pushed back all those other voices. And it came at great price. I lost a lot of people very close to me. And that's why I talk about in my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. I talk about the more you become authentic, you're going to fucking lose people or you're going to walk away from people. And that's one of the hardest things. But then you're going to start to attract people who love who you're becoming. And then shit's going to start to fall out of the sky. Do you know that in the 10 years that Rob and I have known each other, eight, nine, eight years that we've known each other, nine years, somewhere in there, in that time, and Rob will confirm this, and he's an honest man, I have had nine. I've done nothing to precipitate them. I have had nine different offers to have a TV show made about my work or to plug me into an existing TV show. Rob knows it. Rob has seen some of the contracts. Yes, true. All true. I did nothing to precipitate any of them. Maybe sometime I'll share a couple of the uh, little uh, teaser videos that were made for the shows and so forth. Maybe I'll share those with you at some point for a few of the different concepts. But the point is this, shit starts to fall out of the sky. The more you become authentic, shit starts to fall out of the sky. Good shit. So my point is, the worst advice I ever got was really not just be responsible or get a job. It was be responsible to other people's voices, what they think you should do with your life. And the, the, the voice that was rising up from within my soul is, no, be responsible to, responsible to this one voice. That is the God voice, the universe voice, your own soul. And if you have the courage to follow that, it will lead you to places you have never seen, adventures you could never anticipate, and joys well beyond anything you could imagine following anyone else's path. Next question. My adult son won't communicate at all. What can I do? Um, to be very honest with you, a couple of things. I had a video, it went up about December 22nd of 22, okay, on all of the platforms, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, X, YouTube. And I've since reposted, I reposted just in the last uh, two, three months. And it's basically the seven things that you can do, uh, it basically, if you have a frayed adult-child relationship. And I'm in uh, my big sort of Sherpa jacket and it's winter, there's snow on the ground. Uh, go back and watch that one. Start with that, all right? Um, and it's a great video, but it gives you steps of what you can do at the very least, all the steps that you can take to build a bridge to that person. But in the end, if they don't wanna build a bridge back right now, that that's that. But it's not even about building the bridge per se. If your goal is to build a bridge, then you've already missed the point. You've already taken your eye off the ball. The goal is not to, I mean, it may feel like, oh gee, I wanna reestablish a relationship with this person. But that shouldn't be your, I mean, you do what you want. It's your life. I'm not here to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. But the bottom line is you shouldn't do that. What you should do, what your goal should be is to heal that adult child, even if it means you don't ever get a relationship with them. So I'll ask you the very simple question. If you could have, if you could pick, if you were to be totally honest, and this isn't just for you, Wendy, I'm not picking on you, okay? But if you could pick my child being healed, but I never get a relationship with them ever again, or I get a relationship with my adult child, but they never heal, which would you pick? Right. The answer to the question is, a great parent says that my child will heal and I never get to see him again. That's the great answer. Why? Because that is prioritizing the child, even the adult child, even though I may not get a connection with you. So what that means is atoning for all your shit, owning all the shit that you not only did wrong, but are perceived as doing wrong. Because a lot of times we do things where we don't intend to do harm, but it causes harm. 
And we have to atone for those in any relationship, a friendship. If I harm Rob or Rob hurts my feelings, we, you know, we say it and we talk about it and we own it. Or KC, you know, um, if I've hurt her feelings or something, I need to own that and say, I am really sorry that I hurt your feelings, KC. And there's no excuse for that. And tell me more about how it felt. And um, yeah, I need to think about that. And there's, I'm so sorry. It's that sort of thing. But even then, Wendy, in the case of, even if you do those things with your adult son, where you make a list of all the things that you've done wrong and you bring it to him and you say, I am so sorry for these. And I want you to talk with me about these if you want to or not. But I also want you to tell me what else I've done. And let me own that. Give me those rocks back. If there are any rocks in that burlap sack on your back that I put there, I want them back. I don't want you to have to carry around pain that I caused. But even then, they still may not want a relationship with you. And that is their right. And so then the process inside of me becomes letting go of all the pain, all the sadness, all the grieving, all the anger, uh, justified or unjustified, irrelevant. I feel it. And flushing all that out and then moving into a state of acceptance. And if they ever come back, you know they're coming back willingly. Not just because, gee, I want to have a relationship with you. They're coming back of their own volition. Well, now we've got the foundation of a beautiful relationship. Next question. Rob, you got one? I do. This is a first. Are you ready for this? Yes. All right. Um, Andrea says, hi, Rob. What things do Sven and KC do that make you feel loved and appreciated? Oh, that's that's an, that's a pretty easy one. I was uh, prematurely retired at age 65. I wanted to keep working. I was doing a good job, I think, by all accounts. But the company said you're too fucking old to be in the television business and do this stuff. So I had to leave that. So I tried a little consulting. Nothing much was happening. And I really had no sense of purpose. And um, I knew that was a problem. But I didn't know what to do about it. And frankly, I was enjoying all the free time. Kind of, kind of miss that, miss having no sense of purpose sometimes. But nevertheless, um, I Sven's my friend, and he, and it's one day actually it was KC who said Sven wants to do a podcast. Can you help him with it? I said, Yeah, I know how to do that kind of. What I don't know, I can learn. And just for the record, it was KC's I who wanted it. I was doing on her bidding. But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, that that is right. It was KC who asked, and I thought about it. I said, Yeah, yeah, it could be fun. So I had a great time buying some of this equipment. Thank you very much. My old radio <laughs> days came back to me, and now I have this wonderfully rewarding work to do. And I'm not, we're not in it for the money. Uh, this is a nonprofit organization. We didn't plan it that way, but uh, metaphorically certainly. speaking, yes, we have not made. <laughs> money off this i think we had one sponsor for about a month or something yeah, a year ago but we're working on it working and thanks it. to all of our loyal listeners amen we're we're getting closer to the fact that maybe we will be able to interrupt briefly for a tasteful 30 second spot we don't know but uh-huh. right now we do it fun yep. so that's what sven did he had the faith in me to say can you do this and i had the the uh, audacity to say yeah i can do this and i wasn't sure but i did it <laughs> and as far as kc is concerned she has said to me i'm the most Honest, honorable man, one of the most honest, honorable men she's ever met. Well, that was an enormous compliment. And so I thank both of them. And those are the things that made make me feel loved and appreciated. Thank you for the question. Love that. I love that. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, thanks for saying so, Rob. Why, certainly. And, and we do have fun. Just so everybody knows, Rob and I have fun uh, making this show. He does so much of the work behind the scenes of this going up as the podcast on Spotify, on Audible, and all the episodes you don't see. If you only tune in for these lives, you're missing probably three quarters of all the episodes. Um, so, and that's Rob. Rob does all of that work. I literally have nothing to do with any of that. All right, here we go. Shelly on Facebook asks the very good question. Sven, how do you take the rocks out of your own burlap sack? 
Many were put there by my narcissistic ex. Yes. Um, how do you get them out? And I mean, I'm going to be really, really just honest with you. And this may sound like a plug. And on one hand, it is. But on the other hand, it's not. It's just a fucking great tool. Um, there's a hole in my love cup. This is literally written for that exact question. How do you get those rocks out? How do you get the pain, the fears, the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself out of your soul? Out of, and if we're mixing metaphors, out of that burlap sack on your back. And you do it by going into it. We just taped an episode of the show uh, this morning, a counseling episode. And the counseling episodes go up on Thursdays. And we taped it with Nikki. And the, that, that episode is actually, it's up now on YouTube or it's loading. And so with the video, it'll be up on YouTube. But it goes up as a regular uh, podcast episode. And that'll be coming out in, I think, early March, mid-March, whatever it is. But it's the one with Nikki. And uh, Rob is titling it, Why Me? And this woman, when she was a five-year-old, had her face attacked by a dog, a St. Bernard, to the tune of 68 stitches. Family dog. Family dog. She had, uh, her mother died when she was eight. Her father molested her for a year at age 10. Uh, she was married for 25 years. Her husband came out as gay and cheated on her. And then, you know, the, then came out as gay. And then uh, they broke up their friends now. But all this fucking trauma in her life. And suicidal, you know, put the, had the 357 in her mouth and so forth. And all of that pain, all that stuff, that's rocks. And it's gotten her to the point where she has no, almost no joy in anything. That's the effect of, of pain. The catch word nowadays is trauma. But memories that have emotional charges attached to them. And until we decharge all of those memories, we're spending so much energy keeping it down. And all of that negative energy inside is sucking the fucking life out of it. And so out of us. And so I wrote this book because I had to get myself out of a 12-year suicidal depression, all right, in my 20s into my 30s. And uh, so this is all the tools that I've been using for 30 years. So how do you get those rocks out? First of all, I recommend that tool, but uh, it, you can do it on your own. You don't need my fucking book. You need a pad of paper and a pen and just start writing. Now, my book accelerates that process, and I teach you other tools inside of that book to accelerate it even more quickly. But just start writing on all your feelings. At some point, you have to go into it. Now, you don't have to go into the biggest, baddest stuff right away. Start with the small, but just getting getting your legs on you and doing it and doing it and doing it and keep flushing it out. You'll begin to get lighter. You'll begin to have greater clarity. You'll begin to have more spontaneous energy, et cetera. But it requires the courage to go into the pain and to begin to flush it out. Next question. Uh, here we go. Cameron says, man, that divorced kid's revenge video is fire. Um, okay, no question there, but thank you, Cameron. I appreciate that. Um, just put up a video this uh, about week ago, two weeks ago on titled Divorced Kids and Revenge. And it's about, you know, if you're you if you're a divorcing parent and you're co-parenting, uh, that you can't be using your children as weapons against the other person. And if you do, your comeuppance will happen. 99 times out of 100, the day will come where your children see through adult eyes. It may not be until they're 35, but the day will come and where they will have their strength and they will more often than not, not always, exact their revenge or at least get vindication. And what that could mean is you're going to lose the two things most important to you. One, especially as we age, and I'm in my late fifties, Rob can attest, you know, uh, he's slightly older than me. Mm -hmm. the, the, the things you most prize, one of the things is time with your own children and you may lose that. And the other thing you prize even more is your grandkids and they may not let you have them if you are using them, manipulating them, controlling them, or worst of all, driving a wedge between them and the other parent. Now, I'm not talking about cases where the other parent is abusive. I'm not talking about that. But uh, if it's just your fragile fucking bruised ego and you are using your children, your day will come 
and it won't be a pretty day. And you'll deny it that you did shit and you'll say, oh, I did my best and all that bullshit. And if you say you did your best, it's bullshit. You wanna know why? Because right now I'm telling you, you can be doing infinitely better. And there are ways to do better. So you later saying I did my best is bullshit because now you can do better and I'm giving you the fucking tool. So now it's just a cop out. But your comeuppance will come. Do not use your children as weapons and do not drive a wedge between them and that other parent because they, regardless of what you may or may not think, they need that other parent. You may not like that other parent, but some people come of age when they're finally forced to parent one-on-one. Some people, you, you may not like them, but your children love them. They love two people in this world more than anyone else. And more often than not, it's the parents that raise them, mother, the two mothers or the mother, father, or the two fathers, whatever it is, it's not fair of you to take that from them or to badmouth them because it hurts their little hearts. All right, next question. Being child-centered is always a good idea. It is. And though, and additionally, you know, that's a question in even and of itself. That's a really important point. Uh, Rob makes the point, which I largely agree with. Being child-centered is, centered is never a bad idea. Yes. However, there's this other piece to it. When I was growing up, I'm the youngest of six kids, all right? I can count on one half of one hand the number of all of my sporting events that my parents collectively ever went to prior to, let's say, 10th grade, all right? And I'm grateful for that. I played sports because I wanted to play sports, not because mommy or daddy was sitting up there in the stands. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I would go to some of my kids' uh, games, but I was deliberate about not going to all of them because you got to be playing for your fucking self. And if you're not, if you're playing for me, you've already taken your eye off the ball. If you're playing to see, you know, your girlfriend up in the stands, what? No, come on. And uh, and so I was grateful for that. And but even better is this. Every night we would eat dinner as a family, six o'clock, all eight of us around the table, right? And every night, or almost, not every night, almost every night, dad would then go back to the church. He was a pastor, whether it was across the street when we lived in the parsonage across the street, or when we lived in a small town, he'd go back out to the church, Exho, uh, just outside of town on Highway 10. And, uh, you know, he, whether he was teaching classes or a Bible study or something like this, and mom, very often, and one of the kids had dishes every night, and so mom didn't have to do dishes, which was nice for her because she did every other fucking thing in that house, except darn our own socks. We had to darn our own socks and a few other things. But point is, and she, you'd see the phone cord stretch from the kitchen into the bedroom off the kitchen, and mom would be on the phone counseling someone. Do you want to know what it taught me? That I wasn't the center of the world. Do you want to know what else it taught me? That once their own children were food, and were fed, clothed, bathed, and loved, they had work to do. They had work to do in solving the problems and helping the people who didn't have food, water, clothing, love. I couldn't have gotten a better example. And I've deconstructed that for myself. I've given myself permission to not live that way, but it's because there are I don't believe, I truly don't believe, and my siblings might disagree, so I'm not speaking for any of them. I don't believe that for my parents, family is everything. I really don't believe that. But every single day of my life, I was told that I was loved. I was told, you know, my parents would regularly tell me they were proud of me. I'd get a hug and or a kiss from each of my parents every single day of my life. I mean, that I was living with them, right? And so there was never a question that I was loved, but there were also expectations. There were chores. There were spankings if I was bad or did something bad. I wasn't bad. They were clear about that. But but also there was a realization that there's work to do. They had work to do in sort of helping the world. And I'm glad I got that message. I'm really glad I got that message. 
100% agree. Um, I was uh, the point I was attempting to make was in matters of divorce when there are children involved when making decisions during and after. Don't forget for a bingo. moment how that might affect the kids. Amen. That's a bingo. That's a bingo. Um, 100%. And you know what? That'll keep. And for a lot of people, that's not enough to keep them focused. Their own fucking pissed off rage. Trump's go elevates beyond is the ace in the hole more important than worrying about my kids. And that's the height of selfishness. The height of the popular word, of course, narcissism is the person who values himself over the kids. And I just, I have no patience for that. We've had people on the show that in those cases of divorce have weaponized the kids. Yeah. What a horror that is. Right. And that's, I couldn't agree with you more. Don't do that shit. You're just hurting your kids. You think you're hurting the other spouse and you are, you're hurting the kids more. And just so you know, as I said, your recompense will come. Your day of reckoning will come. It always does. 99% of the time from your own kids, but it could come in some other, some from some other source. All right, next question. All right, you know what? This is so funny. And Rob has a question, but I'm gonna get to that in a second. Brittany on Facebook says, can a narc, can a narcissist recover? And then the funny thing is, is just up above that, I had someone, the reason I was taking a minute to comment was someone said, said basically, I went through recovery. I'm a recovering uh, narcissist and I've done the work and you know it was hard as fuck. Um, so presumably, yes. Do I believe a narcissist can recover, quote unquote? Uh, first of all, you guys know I don't normally use the phrase narcissist. I use extreme taker um, just because million reasons that I won't go into now. But can, it's not even about recovering. Can they heal? Can they heal from all the pain that was done to them that drove them to become this? Yes, they can. And I deal with clients that way all the time. We've had them on the show, in fact. Um, but it's always pain that's driving it, that's driving the person to ex- become this extreme taker uh, and so forth. So can one, quote unquote, recover? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead, Rob. This is from uh, YouTube, came in. Uh, is it healthy to act like everything is fine when a parent treated you so badly? Um, and I'm going to ask, and just what's this person's, give me a name. Candace. Candace. Is it healthy to act as if everything's fine when a parent did shitty things, basically? Well, I'm assuming you're asking, is it okay for me as the victim of the shitty things from the parent? Is it okay for me to act as if everything's fine? Or is it okay for the parent? Um, the, the truth is Candace, um, it's your life and you can do whatever the hell you want. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise in term, especially when it comes to your own soul and your own healing. Okay. Um, but asking, is it right? And is it okay? Is really sort of, uh, with respect, it's the wrong question. The question you, you should be asking is, is it healthy? Does it serve me? Well, there are times when we got to put on a happy face. There are times, you know, you got to go to f- fucking work, right? You got to, you know, interact with people where you're not going into all your problems. Because, you know, there are those times you bump into Jimmy at the grocery store. You're not going to get into all your shit more than likely. So, you, you know, whatever. Hey, I'm good. You know, a few things. But yeah, I'm good, Jimmy. Good to see you too. You know, so yes, it is functional at times to put on the sunny face. It is functional at times to just cope. But coping or just putting on a funny face is a funny face. Uh, uh, you know, happy face. That is a short-term or occasional solution. It's no long-term solution at all. That at some point you got to go into it. Well, you're talking about it with regard to a parent specifically. Again, you can do whatever the hell you want. But um, what some people do is the pain of what the parent did 
is so significant that it's like they want to confront them. This woman that I told you that I counseled earlier, we did an episode counseling Nikki uh, earlier today. She confronted her father for the years of sexual molestation, basically shortly before her wedding. And she was, she realizes looking for an apology and she never got it. Of course, him, piece of shit, never owned it. And that would have healed her, done so much potentially for her. And she chose not to. Um, comment, Rob? I have the follow-up from Candace. Okay. She just wants her father in her life, but he treats, uh, she feels, he treats his stepkids more important than her. Eesh. There you go. Right. And, and so if you and I were in session together, I'd ask you the question. And there's nothing wrong with wanting your father in your life. Um, and he's treat, you said he treats his stepkids better than you, which implies then that they, or the underlying message that you've gotten is you're not important. You're less important. You don't matter. And what you're wanting and wanting that relationship, if we were uh, with your father, if we were in counseling, I'd say, then what? I'd ask you the question, then what? What would that, then what would your experience be? And very, and then you say, well, then I'd feel, you know, I'd have a parent. And then what? Well, I guess I'd feel loved. And then what? Um, and if you dig down deep enough with the then what's, then what's, then what's, usually you get down around something like, well, then I'd feel like I matter. Then I'd feel healed. Okay, so what you're fundamentally saying is I'm still wanting something from my father, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. But the longer we go through life not getting that thing that we want from the parent, the longer our misery protracts, continues, right? And wanting something from someone gives them the power to make me miserable, gives them the power to make me unhappy because all they have to do is withhold it. And your father clearly has no indication or no desire to give you what you want. Otherwise he would have done it by now. And that's a hard thing to look at. But the bottom line is uh, at some point you may come to the point where you realize, and you wanting that is fine. But you, let's just say, I don't know how old you are, but let's just say you're 25. Let's just say you're 35, whatever. You have a 35-year pattern of behavior of your dad not wanting to give a shit about you. And that's a harsh, brutal thing to hear, to feel, to experience, to come to terms with. Potentially that I've really never had a father. And, and that my father has no interest in me. And in his eyes, I don't matter. That's a brutal thing. And it's a sad, sad, sad fucking day when we allow that sort of freight train to hit us. But it's also potentially the most liberating day of your life. You want to know why? Because you've spent your whole life contorting, bending, all sorts of mental, emotional, life gymnastics to try to get him to love you. And, and he hasn't. Trying to get him to express all that love and he hasn't. And it's a liberating day because now your life is finally your own. You can live it your fucking way because he's not going to give you the approval either way. So why not at least live your life your way? Um... And so you can put on a sunny face and try to have the relationship, but let's be really, really honest. He has no interest in giving you what you want. So you're disempowering yourself. You're empowering him to continue to keep you miserable. Um, and maybe he will. Maybe he'll change someday. But wouldn't you rather be waiting out those days living your life your way? Because as long as you are continue to sort of kiss his ass, forgive my harshness, but as long as you're continuing to sort of kiss his ass, he has no incentive to change. Because he's already getting everything. Where's the pain point for him? I don't have to fucking change. I'm getting everything. Fuck you. I'm not going to change. I actually think you have a far better chance of changing him by just going and living your life. And he'll be all pissed. Oh, you're not meeting my needs. You're not being nice to me anymore. And he'll stomp his feet and he'll slam his doors and he'll walk away. And oh, well, but at least you'll finally be free in living your life. Comment, Rob? Yeah, it's sort of putting an exclamation point on it. She then comments, he didn't come back into my life until my stepmom passed. What does that imply? What do you make of that, Rob? Well, I think he's looking for love somewhere after his oh, second wife died. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. So even it, it potentially, 
a good read, Rob. So he, potentially, potentially, <laughs> what he's really wanting, the reason he's back in your life, is it's not so much that he wants you and wants to love you. He wants you to pour love into his love cup. Motherfucker. But likes the other kids better. But still likes the other kids better. It's like, honestly, I mean, you do what you want. I would strongly recommend two things. One, write a letter to your dad that you don't send, okay? That you just, just to flush out all your feelings. Because when we flush out all our feelings first, you know what we do? We tend to see much more clearly. And flush all this shit out. Where the fuck were you 20 years ago, you fucking dick? You old man, go fuck yourself, you know, whatever. And all the sadness, I missed you so much, daddy. Why weren't you at the homecoming and all this crap? Flush it all out. And then- if, if you want, and you can heal without ever speaking, saying word one to your father, but go to your father and say, here's what I want, here's what I need, and then just watch how he responds. And if you need him to own some shit from the past, say it. If you need him to act a certain way, say it. And then just watch how he responds. He will respond in one of two ways or some derivative of, one, of these two ways. Either A, he'll respond with, oh yeah, sure, I'll do it, and then he won't. Or he'll deflect, deny, dodge, defend. Or... In which case, your response, if you put the truth out there and he responds with something that really isn't about you, that's really about him and his bullshit, your response really internally is, thank you, you've just shown me who you are. Or he'll respond with some variation of fucking hell, you're right. You're right. And I am sorry for what I've done, what I've left undone. And I do, I will be there for you. And then he consistently proves it. Thank you. You've just shown me who you are. But once we put our truth out there, all you have to do is sit back and respond, watch this person, and they'll show you exactly who they are. And then you, of course, have to face the ugly truth that they may be the same shit that they've always been. All right. We will have much more to come right after this short break. I've been doing some real healing work in my life, and I mean hardcore. But I've been craving something new to level up. A friend of mine told me about this badass counselor. I got to admit, I rolled my eyes. Then I watched a few of his videos, and yes, this is the guy. I went and got his audiobook, Badass Wisdom. Holy shit. Absolute ass-kicking, inspiring, deep, powerful shit, period. If you don't get this book, you're making a huge mistake. So do you got the guts to go big with your self-care? Go to badasscounseling.com, get the book Badass Wisdom now. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. It's good to have you here, badasses. Thank you for all your questions, and we're banging them out here, fine humans. Rhonda asks a really common question, but a good one. And Rhonda's question is, help with divorcing a crazy narcissist. Uh, the basics, first of all, um, and, you know, everybody has their own sort of uh, variation on this, tweak on this. I believe in strong boundaries. I believe in standing up for yourself. I believe in a, getting a strong lawyer. If you are dealing with someone who is aggressive, uh, overly selfish, who just wants to fucking burn everything, get someone strong on your side. And you need to be working on your own shit, specifically all of your anger, all of your frustration, the hate, the rage, the sadness, the betrayal, all those feelings, you need to be flushing it out. Just like I was talking about a minute ago, this notion of writing a letter, flushing it all out. You guys, you gotta understand what corrupts our capacity to act clearly and think clearly more than anything else is emotion. Have you ever had the experience? I know it's a fucking asinine question, but have you ever had the experience of um, getting so worked up in a situation getting so fucking worked up that uh, 
you 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 do something, you say something, and then later you're like, fuck, fuck. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. But it's because you were so swollen with emotion. Have you ever had that? Of course, we've all had that. Whether it's swollen with sadness or anger or frustration or embarrassment, whatever it is, then you regret it later. It's the emotion. It's when we get so hypercharged with feelings, with emotion, that we make some of our worst decisions or that we just can't see clearly in life. And so when you're divorcing a crazy narcissist, Rhonda, best thing you can do in all situations, but especially in this case, because you're gonna be so fucking emotionally charged all the time, is you need to be deliberate about flushing all that crap out. And then, as I said, you have to hold strong boundaries. You have to have a strong lawyer. And you can't, you really can't give an inch, but you're gonna find that you may want to and be judicious in those situations. Um, And I have clients who are divorcing. I have off the top of my head right now, divorcing what you would call a crazy narcissist. I can think of three clients right off the top of my head that I've spoken with in the last two weeks in that exact situation. And in one of their cases, She's just like, she's a woman who's been very, very successful and uh, out West. And uh, she says, man, I'm just, I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up that. I don't even fucking care. I just want to be done with this fuck face. All right. And then some other people, it's like, no, I'm hardlining this motherfucker. I'm not giving an inch. I am not. And uh, so, but I believe in being strong when you're dealing with someone who's a taker and who's just trying to fucking hurt you. And But you got to have a team behind you as well. You got to have your lawyer. You got to have friends who support you. If you got family who supports you, that's even better. Or that's great as well. All right, next question. Ashley asked the question. I get this question so many times every single week in people's comments in the, I'll get a thousand, and they're not all on this topic, but I get a thousand messages, uh, contacts, reach outs, calls, fucking um, across all social media every single week. And I can't, if you send it and I haven't gotten to you, I apologize. I try to get to as many as I can. Um, But this is one I see very, very frequently, especially in like the last two years. How do I determine if my spouse is a narcissist or am I? Ashley asked that question. This is such a hot question for so many people. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I mean, I get what you're really asking is who's the problem, him or me? Who's the problem, her or me? That's what you're really asking. As if to determine sort of, am I innocent? Am I going crazy? Is it me? Is it them? And very often, a person who is the narcissist isn't going to be asking that question because quite frankly, A, A, I don't give a shit, but B, no, you're the problem. That's not even a question. Me? The problem? Fuck off. You're the problem. Which, by the way, is my favorite line from the TV show, Succession. I've had like a few different people say, Sven, you're so much like Logan Roy on Succession. I said, why is that? Because he always says, fuck off. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> you are not nearly as dismissive as Logan Roy. Well, That's I'm, not fair. And not nearly as talented, not nearly as good looking, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, uh, and I don't have that great British accent that he has in real life. He's British, right? Brian Cox. Yeah. I so many so. actors on that show are. Or yeah. Scott. Oh, yeah. And they were all using American accents. I know, brilliantly. Except uh, one of the real hits of the show, uh, um, not Macaulay, but his brother, Kieran Culkin. Right. Kieran Culkin. Culkin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to the question. Um, what the hell was I answering here? I'm not sure. Oh, great. Oh, um, determine who's this narcissist. You're trying to figure out who's at fault. And if you were the narcissist, you probably wouldn't be answering that question because you would be pointing the finger at the other person. Most people, if you're reflecting at that level or even asking that question, you're likely the person who's dealing with a narcissist. However, that being said, here is my honest to God answer on so many questions, narcissist. It doesn't matter. You're asking the wrong question. 
Now you can ask that question. You can tell me to fuck off with my wrong question. Shit, shove it up my ass. You wouldn't be the first person. All right. Uh, but it's a wrong question. The question you should be asking that we always need to be asking. And this is why we do this work of healing our insides, folks. It, the question you always need to be asking is, does it hurt? Does the treatment I'm receiving in this relationship with a lover, with a friend, with a parent, with a child, with a spouse, with a whatever, boss, coworker, subordinate, does it hurt? Does it feel good or does it feel yucky? Use a kid word there, but it's a good way to tune in using that kid word. Because if you're in a relationship with someone who is perpetually, regularly, in one way or another hurting you, it doesn't matter if they're a quote unquote narcissist, it doesn't matter. They're a hurter. You're in a relationship with a hurter. Okay? And that's all that matters. And so what you do, you do the work that I always talk about, the inner work of healing the hurt. But you have to begin to ask yourself, do why would I want, and are you making your hurts known? Are you making your needs, feelings, wants known? And is this person being deliberate about meeting, honoring your feelings, meeting your needs, wants, uh, et cetera? And if they're not, why the fuck are you in a relationship with that? That's the question. Does it hurt? Is there a chance of it not hurting? Is the stock trending up or is the stock trending down? You can have bad week. A stock trending up or largely on the overall 30-year arc of that stock, it's generally going up. Yeah, there are down days, down weeks, down months. That's fine. But overall, this, I mean, even great stocks, even Apple stock, for instance, still has down months. Give me a break. Down season, quarter, but it's still largely trending up. That's what you want your relationships to be. And if they aren't, you got. I would ask you, why are you in it? What are you afraid of? And it's 99.9% of the time, fear. There's something I'm afraid of that if I walked away or in walking away or being alone or all the voice inside of me that would come up if I were alone, being uh, labeled as a bad guy, my mom raging on me, whatever it is. All right. Amy then asked the follow-up question. I'll take this uh, to continue that extreme taker thing. But wouldn't telling the extreme taker that they are hurting me make them feel accomplished? Oh, it very well might. Yeah, that they've hurt me. They might love that. And in all honesty, if I see that look of sort of accomplishment registering on their face or a glint of pride about them, they're giving me a gift. It hurts, but they're giving me such a fucking gift. You want to know why? Because you are just confirming for me or confirming for you, Amy, what a fucking asshole you are. Not you, Amy, but the person I'm having this conversation with, if I'm telling them you're hurting me and I need you to meet my needs, they're like, no, fuck you. Or I do, or no, you're the problem. You need therapy. I don't need, if you're getting all that, they're giving you a gift on a silver fucking platter. They're showing you who they are. It's plain as day. They don't give a fuck about your feelings. They delight in hurting you. Why, for the love of God, do you want to be in a relationship with someone who delights in hurting you? For what possible reason? No, 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 abort. Eh, eh, eh. Danger, Will Robinson. Get the fuck out. I hope someone reveals to me that they delight in hurting me. I hope they do. Because it just makes my decision to walk away so much easier. Thank you. You've done so much for me by telling me that you delight in my pain. Thank you for that. Now I'm going to fucking leave, you piece of shit. All right, so Amy, that was actually a great follow-up question. Thank you for that question. Okie dokie, artichoke. What do we got? Okay. Morgan then asked, what if you have nowhere to go? You find a way. You find a way. Connect, whether it's friend, family, uh, a shelter, if that's what it's come to, male or female, you figure out a way. And sometimes, does it take time to figure out a way? Yes, it does. 
But here's what I know. Over 30 years of working with victims of abuse, domestic violence, other forms of abuse, and it's not just women, folks, but in 30 years of doing that, one of the refrains I hear the most, one of the ones is, it's hard and I don't know how I'll do it. The other one that I hear ex post facto, after the fact is, God, I wish I would have done this 10 years sooner. So for as hard as it is, your soul is crying to get out and you have no idea how much you're gonna appreciate the fact that you had the courage and that you found a way to get out. Honor yourself, otherwise your life is just whipping by and you're gonna so wish you had, or once you do, you're gonna say, I wish I would have done it sooner and that's okay. But figure out a way, Morgan, figure out a way. All right, next question. How can I get my wife to go to therapy? Therapy saved my life. All right, uh, great question. I encounter this all the time. Uh, my inbox right now of people wanting counseling, um, I guarantee at least a third of them are, you know, someone trying to get their spouse into therapy or what have you, um, or someone wanting badass counseling for their spouse because, you know, Sven, you'll break through all the bullshit from her or you'll break through all his bullshit or whatever. How do you get someone to go to therapy? The short answer is, Gaetan, you can't. You can't. If they don't want to go, they're not going to go. Furthermore, if they go and they don't want to be there, and I have clients like this, or where I get them down to a certain point where they know that the next 10 steps down are like, like this overwhelming shit, all the shit they've been running from their whole life, they will pull back. They will resist. And any therapist live, and I have tons of therapists that tune into our show, psychiatrists, psychologists, and they write into me and every one of them will attest, unless somebody's got some magic fucking bypass on this fucker, um, that if you have a resistant client, there ain't shit you can do. If you bring in your spouse and they're resistant, and they're clamped down. It doesn't matter. You can berate them. You can question them. You can, you know, try to do the old end around. You can do anything. But if someone wants to stay shut down, they're going to stay shut down. And their misery, misery will increase. And don't be surprised if they'll point the finger at you that you're the fucking problem. I'm not the fucking problem. It's just they don't want to touch their shit. So I don't mean to be sort of doom and gloom and the grim reaper here, Gaetan, but to get your wife to go to therapy, uh, therapy saved my life. You can't. But here's the interesting thing about your question. And I love that question because what it indicates is I have changed. I wish she would change. Now that wishing she would change, I'm sure comes from an altruistic place of she would be so much happier. But if you were my client, Gaetan, and for the our purposes right this moment, you are. <laughs> what I would say to you is, yes, I'm sure you want it because she'll be happier. But what is the benefit to you if she goes to therapy. See, very often when we want someone to go to therapy, we want, some of them, we want them to go to therapy because if we're really honest, to some greater or lesser degree, they aren't meeting my needs or they're hurting me or they're a fucking drag or whatever. I just don't like who they are anymore. Now that I've evolved, if you're really honest, potentially, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here, Gaetan, but um, you've outgrown your spouse. And this is what a lot of people fear in their lover or their spouse or their partner going into therapy is I fear you're going to leave me. You're not going to want me anymore. And that is one possibility. I mean, if I married this person and this person grows and evolves and changes, now they're this person, I feel like I, I got cheated, man. You changed the fucking contract. What the fuck, right? And there's always that possibility. And even if she goes to therapy, she may evolve into a different person from who she is that doesn't want you or you don't want her. So two people going to therapy doesn't mean they're going to end up together, which is why I always tell people, and it's written right on my website, badasscounseling.com on the counseling page. It says, I work with couples differently from most therapists. I do not. I do not ever 
take couples together in the first session or even in the second or third session. I just don't. Why? It is invariably turns into a flying shit show of he said, she said. Because what I'm trying to do in my couples counseling is I always tell people, I'm not trying to save your fucking relationship. So don't come to me if you're looking for someone to you know do the Hail Mary to save your fucking relationship. I, my goal is, my belief is that you have become this way because you chose, you built a relationship based on adapted versions of yourself that weren't your most authentic self. And all of the problems you're experiencing now are not a result of this relationship. It's a result from all the conditioning from your past. You're paying your fears and all the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. So my goal is to heal two individuals, help them become their most authentic self, and then turn and look at each other and say, now as I am my own authentic self and you are your authentic self, do I wanna spend the rest of my life with you? And vice versa, do I wanna spend the rest of my life with you? Now you've got two authentic people acting from source rather than acting from, let's say, surface ego or all their pain or all their trauma speaking. And that's a completely different type of couples counseling. And obviously it costs more because you're doing two people at the same time, which is why I tell them, read the fucking book and you'll save fucking 80% of the time, uh, whatever, not the point. The point is, going back to you, Gaetan, how can I get my wife to go to therapy? Therapy saved my life. Um, you probably can't, you can ask, you can encourage, but in the end, if she doesn't want to do it, she doesn't want to do it. And you may discover deep down, and I'm betting there may be some of this there, that you're really not digging on her anymore. And you're really not wanting to potentially be with her anymore. And I, although you want to, if she'd just make X, Y, and Z changes, but if she doesn't want to make X, Y, and Z changes, then you're confronted with that dastardly question of potentially leaving someone you love. And boy, folks, for those of you that have been there, you know, one of the hardest things to do is to walk away from someone you love because it's just not right anymore. And, and the stock has been trending down for quite some time. All right, I'm taking one last question. Uh, Rob, if you have a great one. Yeah, well, I've got a four paragraph one here that I will paraphrase oh, for you in the you interest of clarity. Okay, I've been trying to figure this one out. It's another couple's question. There's a one, the wife is reading the Love Cup book. The husband is listening to it, but hasn't written anything. He says he can't think of anything. So they're having this particular conflict. And so she's asking if they can stay together while they're healing and they just keep their distance. Is that okay? They have nowhere else to go. They're not meeting each other's emotional needs. They're not talking about important things until they're healed. Would that even work or make sense? And if you can't think of the answers to the question, should you just move on or keep reading? Yeah, all great questions. I love that. What's her name? Uh, her name is Leia. Hey, Leia. Um, uh, girl that I used to play with on the block when I was five years old was Leah, Leah Johnson, um, back in Lake Park, Minnesota. Anyway, uh, Leia, um, yes, you can definitely stay together. And, you know, I'll be very, very honest with you. You know what I just said a minute ago about couples counseling? And I, couple, I counseled two individuals separately. Generally, if I'm working with a couple, I recommend that, I mean, you can talk about some of your, you do what you want, of course, but my recommendation, don't talk about your shit with the other person because so much of your shit is going to be about the other person or at least initially. Going into your past, like the really deep shit in your past, if your partner is going into their shit, they, they're likely not going to have the bandwidth to handle your deepest back shit as well. Or they may just say the wrong thing that might hurt, okay? And vice versa, that you might hurt them or you're going to have to shoulder all their shit. And so I would recommend, yeah, you can be together. I don't recommend talking about all your stuff because you're each dealing with your own stuff. With regard to the question of your husband not coming up with anything, I find it hard to believe that nothing, zip, zero is coming up. 
even if he's not going way back into the far, far past, as I've been saying on this show, start with what's in front of you. Start with something small. Start with something medium. Start with something, you know, when your boss fired you five years ago and you're pissed off. Start journaling there. And if your husband isn't doing the journaling, it's not because there's nothing there. Because even yesterday, somebody fucking cut him off in traffic and he got pissed. There's one feeling. Start there. No, if someone doesn't want to do the journaling, it's because they don't want to touch this shit. And I get this all the time. I get people say to me, they'll even come into therapy and they'll say, you know, Sven, I read the book, but I didn't do the exercises, which was just a huge fucking flashing red light for me. This is a person who doesn't want to touch the shit. The book, the concepts of the book, there's a hole in my love cup especially, but it's true of badass wisdom as well. The concepts and the questions in the book, that's the, the concepts and the insights and they're powerful and they're strong. But your interface with the concepts is the questions and you sitting down and journaling your ass off. So I'm, I'd bet my left nut that your husband just doesn't want to touch that shit because it's too fucking painful. And so whether he's humoring you or he's just not ready, and maybe he's just not ready, but at some point he's going to have to interface and it is not your job to facilitate his interface with that. If he needs a therapist, you know, fucking ring me, you know, on the website or find one or whatever. But at some point he's going to have to get his story out because healing isn't about taking in more. Healing is about flushing out the pain, the fears, the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. For those of you tuning in from as far away as New Zealand, and we had, what did we have today? Croatia today? We had a Croatia. Serbia. Serbia. Because we've had Croatia, never had it Serbian. So that was kind of fun. Uh, Nova Scotia over there in Kent, UK, um, Norway. It's good to have everyone here. To everyone out there in Radio Land, thank you so much for tuning in. On behalf of Casey and Rob, I am Sven Erlinson. Have a kick ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.